chapter 8, verse 5. <clears throat> then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. <clears throat> come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. It would be good if we could have faith like that. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword nor or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewed along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned, to, returned from chasing the Philistine, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. 
David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. And this is the word of the Lord. Just uh, talk quietly amongst yourself while I get dressed up here. Please uh, keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, we're going to be looking at that together. If you, if you don't have a Bible, I think there's some in your, um, in your chairs in front of you, behind you. If you can have that passage open in front of you, technology failed this morning, um, and so it's good when you aren't reliant on that technology. Uh, but also, too, having your own Bible in front of you, it's fantastic because you get to know it. You get to know God's Word. You get to know the feel of it. Whether it's paper or on your phone, it doesn't matter. Get, get to know God's Word because I'm not coming home with you, but God's Word is. And so if you get to know God's Word, you get to know your Bibles, that's what's going to be at home with you. And you can open it up each day and you can read. And you can look back over this passage uh, from what we look at tonight. So like I said, if there's anything, uh, like I said earlier, if there's any questions you have about what we look at tonight, please come and have a chat with me. If uh, what I'm saying and what you're reading doesn't seem to add up, please come and have a conversation with me. If you've got questions about things that uh, we may or may not touch on tonight, uh, please come and have a conversation. Let's uh, be learning God's Word faithfully and let's be looking at that together. Uh, trust is seen in what you lay down and then in what you take up in its place. Trust is seen in what you lay down and in what you take up. A trust in God is seen in laying down everything we are and everything we have in the world's eyes to take up faith in Jesus who saves us and who redefines us, to take up a heavenly hope, a, a gospel-centered life, laying down our search for worldly gain, uh, for security, for, uh, for laying down self-centered devotion to know real life, real Life. David showed us what this trust in God looks like, a trust that we see Jesus later demonstrate perfectly, to see our enemies defeated, our circumstances overcome, not by the ways of man, but by the power of God. A trust that we're called to have. It's, it's amazing that you know, we read this passage and we say, I oh, wish we had faith like that. But what we'll see tonight is that we, we can, because the God that David trusted in is the same God that we have. We can have this trust. We can have this trust. It's a trust that we're called to have. That's trusting in the power of God, laying down everything at the foot of the cross to take up life in Jesus, to trust in something that is bigger than us, that is bigger than our world. 
that is bigger than our biggest foe. See, David, a lowly shepherd, marched out to battle against Goliath with nothing but his trust in God, a trust that saw him, laid out everything that you would expect him to need in a worldly sense. He gave it all away. But see, David wouldn't fight this battle by the ways of man, but through that power of God. Jesus, mankind's shepherd, walked the hill of Calvary to fight against Satan, sin and death by that same power. Jesus trusted in his heavenly Father in his Father's will. A trust that saw Jesus lay down his life. Jesus also knew the power of God that he wielded. See, this battle wouldn't be fought with weapons of man either, or with religious piety, with works, with with deeds, but with the power of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. See, the big question I want us to be asking ourselves and, and reflecting on this evening and hopefully walking away with is, what are we truly trusting in? Where does our strength lie, our hope? Where do we find our hope? What empowers us? What secures us? What gives us assurance? What gives us boldness and courage? In who have we placed our everything? Seeing David's trust in God, Jonathan does something really interesting. Jonathan was inspired to lay down his own trust in man's ways. An incredible demonstration for how we're to respond to what we see in Jesus. Jesus' defeat of Satan's sin and death, his powerful victory for us, should drive us and inspire us to shed trust in ourselves, our world, our works, our idols, our securities, to have our life and salvation grounded and trusting in Jesus. That would see us face whatever circumstance, whatever situation comes with power and with self-control, with that faith like David did to walk that battlefield. A boldness and a joy that can only be found in knowing that Jesus is greater than anything that we can face. Let me pray as we look at this passage together. Let me pray. Lord God, Father, Son and Spirit, Lord, we we pray uh, tonight, this evening, that you would teach us mightily through your word, by your spirit, Father, that we would be taught, that we would be challenged, that we'd be encouraged, Lord, that we would be molded and shaped, that you would do all those amazing things you do by your spirit through your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, we would see you clearly, that we would be encouraged to strip away and to jettison those things that we are looking to instead of you, to know that you alone are trustworthy. Pray, Lord, that you would do this work in us. Lord, sustain my voice. Help me not to be a distraction from your word. Help us to learn well tonight. We pray this for your honour, for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of the life that we're to live as a witness to those around us, that they too would come to know you, Jesus, and be saved and trust in you for eternal life. We pray this in your name. Amen. I will have that passage open. Let's go and see David's trust. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, 38 to 54. The words will be up on the screen. But like I said, technology isn't always everyone's friend. The words are up there, but please get to know your own Bibles. Please read it in front of you as well. Follow along. Now we pick up the moment. This is after David has arrived at the battlefield. So remember, this is Israel and the Philistines. They're fighting. And so David arrives, bringing supplies to his brothers on the front line. So this is after he arrives. And he's arrived at the battle between Israel and the Philistines, where Goliath has been taunting Israel and looking for a champion to come and fight him. And David puts his hand up and volunteers. Verse 38. 
Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic. Saul armors up David, gets him ready. But notice what David does. He rejects them. There in verse 39. He said he's not used to them. In the ESV, it uses a slightly different word. It says that David, David rejects them because he hadn't tested them. He hadn't tested these things, and which, is, which is a really interesting word. It's a really interesting idea. It means that these weapons that David was meant to trust his life to, these, these weapons and this armor, David hadn't proven them. They hadn't been tested. They hadn't been proven. David couldn't trust his life to these worldly things. They weren't trustworthy. But do you know who was? God was. Have a look. If you've got the Bible in front of you, have a look at verse 37, the verse just before this. David tells Saul of how the God who saved him from lions and bears, that's who will save David from Goliath. God is trustworthy. Not these weapons, not this armor. David can't take them into battle, but he can take God into battle. God had proven himself trustworthy. Now, see, Jesus' life proved he was someone to watch, and his resurrection proved that he was someone to trust. Jesus has been tested. Jesus has been proven trustworthy, trustworthy with our lives. Uh, Back to David. Have a look there in verse 40. Uh, He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David trusted in his trustworthy God. But notice how that trust didn't void David's need to take action and be responsible for stepping onto the field. Do you notice that? He didn't say, oh, look, God God will look after that. We'll go and have lunch. God will deal with Goliath for us. No, it it didn't void David's need to take action, to walk onto that field. His trust in God didn't mean that David did nothing. And I see, trust in God isn't a crutch that does all the work. No, trust in God is armor that we wear. You can't say you're trusting in God, but refuse to go and live out that trust and live under that trust and exercise that trust and step out. No more than you can say that you're trusting in the air in, a, in an oxygen tank, but refuse to go underwater. Trust is meant to be exercised. And so David took to the battlefield, he stepped up to his responsibilities, he faced his enemies, he met his circumstances with a trust that said, my God is bigger. David lived with God-centered confidence that said, God can be trusted. That said, God will make a way even if it's through the middle of that battle. A trust that saw David lay down his worldly armor and his worldly weapons and take up a simple stick and a bunch of stones. Because this was a trust in a God that was bigger than David's biggest foe. Now, what might shake this kind of trust? What might shake this kind of trust? Maybe it's thinking that our foes and our circumstances are actually more powerful. See, David faces off against Goliath. And then verse 44, Goliath makes a threat. Come here, he said, and I will give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Or in other translations, it says, uh, Goliath says, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. What does that remind you of? 
Genesis. There you go. It reminds us of Genesis. This is, this is Genesis language. It takes us back to Genesis, back to God's creation, back to where God gave mankind power over the birds of the air and over the beasts of the field. The Goliath's words, they sound like they've got authority. They, this, is, this is kind of God authority kind of language. Maybe, maybe we need to take notice of this. Maybe, Dave, maybe Goliath is stronger than David thinks. Maybe lions and bears are one thing, but this is Goliath. Maybe, maybe David is no match for this guy. Maybe Goliath might win. See, sometimes our circumstances will make us think that they have authority over us, that we're at their mercy, that they get to dictate who we are and how we live. They get to define what we believe is true. And that brings fear. It brings uncertainty. It brings a sense of self-preservation. But remember, it was God who gave authority to mankind in the first place. And just because Goliath is acting like he has power and authority doesn't mean that he does. Doesn't mean that he has. Just because our circumstances look dictating doesn't mean that they should. God is the only true power, and we need to listen to him and stick to him. We can't be swayed by invalid statements, things that aren't true, to the point where we neglect to be empowered and inspired and encouraged and enriched by what is true. Verse 46 and 47, this is what what David says in reply to Goliath. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. Why? Because David's stronger, he's tougher, he's more handsome than Goliath. He said he was pretty ruddy and handsome, whatever ruddy means. Is that why? No. It's because David's trusting in God. That's why. Look at what he says. The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel, not the whole world will know how amazing I am. There's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Just because our circumstances look like they have authority over us doesn't mean that they do. We need to place that back in the one who actually has the authority to define who we are and to dictate the life that we live. See, trust in God is a powerful weapon. It's a trust that gives birth to an unshakable hope one anchored in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, in whom we're united to for all eternity. A hope that then gives birth to boldness, a boldness to live out our faith fueled by heavenly truths, not earthly situations. A boldness that can inspire us to walk any valley, face any battle, that can transform us and our world, because this is a boldness, like I said, that comes from real hope. And see, real hope isn't created, but real hope creates. Because real hope comes from a trust in something bigger than us. Uh, Take this for example. See, if I'm scared of the dark, if I'm scared of the dark, put your hand up if you're scared of the dark. It's okay, you can admit it. This is a safe space. We We can be open here. If I'm scared of the dark, I can go and turn the lights on and I can have hope. I can turn the lights on and have hope. But that's a hope that I have created. Sure, it brings courage and boldness, but it's shallow. 
Because my hope is something that I've made for myself by trusting in myself and in my ability to have control over the light switch. But what happens when the power grid goes out? What happens when something happens that is beyond my control? What happens to that hope? What happens to that boldness that I was living out? Instead, if I'm scared of the dark, and here's here's that we need to listen to the one who actually speaks truth. If I'm scared of the dark, I could instead trust in the one who darkness is scared of. I could trust in the one who darkness flees from. I could instead trust in the one who darkness cannot overcome, as John tells us. A trust in someone that leads to a hope that I haven't created, but one that instead comes from God and so creates. It creates comfort and assurance and endurance that empowers, it never fails. That creates a steadfast confidence and boldness. If you're trusting in yourself, the hope you're clinging to for life and salvation, it is simply created by you. And so the confidence and boldness you have is as strong as your biggest flaw. The boldness and confidence you have to face whatever comes is as strong as your biggest flaw. When we trust in God, the hope we have for life and salvation is in Jesus. Not an empty hope created by us, but an eternal hope given by him. Where our confidence and boldness in life and in death isn't troubled or tainted by our imperfections, but it's energized and inspired by Jesus' perfection for us. This is a trust that creates contentment and joy beyond what we see because Jesus is bigger. Now David trusted in his trustworthy God, a trust that gave birth to hope that brought a boldness that saw David step onto the battlefield to face a giant. David showed us a God who was worth trusting in. Now fast forward a thousand years to Jerusalem and we see this trustworthy God come to earth as a man. We see another king, not King David, but King Jesus, a perfect king. Not a lowly shepherd, but the great high shepherd who went into battle not against the the enemies of Israel, but the enemies of mankind, Satan, sin, and death. Jesus, as our Savior, our Redeemer, our King, marched up the hill of Calvary to the cross to be crucified. See, like David, Jesus went into battle not with a spear, not with a sword. Jesus didn't even have a sling or a stone. In fact, Jesus was stripped of everything, his clothes. He was crucified naked to a cross. He had literally nothing with him. And yet he walked away victorious. All he needed was his power, the power of God, a power David trusted in that Jesus embodied. See, here on this hill in Jerusalem was that God from that battlefield with David, that God had come in Jesus through battle on behalf of mankind with our greatest enemies. Where through Jesus' death and resurrection, that power of God would again be victorious for all who trust and all who believe. Now, see, God saves us not by human weapons, not by human works. His defeat of Satan, sin, and death was not by human strategy. Our salvation isn't found in religion, but through the power of God. God saves us according to his grace by the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And this power to save demonstrated in and through Jesus, God himself in the flesh, a God not just calling us to trust him, but the God who showed us that himself that he is trustworthy, this power, our trust in it, doesn't mean we do nothing, but it sees us live and walk with confidence. To walk out there every day of the week, no matter what comes, unashamed of the gospel. Trust is a powerful weapon, number one, when it's placed in something trustworthy. Jesus has proven that. God has proven that through the person of Jesus. Our God is trustworthy. Number two, our trust must be exercised. Trust, that is an exercise, isn't trust. It's distrust, it's fear. Number three, because a real trust in God should empower. Real trust in God should inspire and encourage to make us stand, not sit back. No matter the circumstances we face, because it doesn't matter what it is. Bring on a pandemic. Bring on inflation. It doesn't matter. Bring on rejection from our workmates. It doesn't matter. We can live with confidence because Jesus is bigger. God is bigger. So where does this trust start? Well, take a look what happened when Jonathan saw David. 1 Samuel 18, 1-5, after David returned from winning against Goliath. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. In the ESV, it said that Jonathan stripped himself of his robe, his armour, his weapons. Do you notice that? He, he saw David, and then he just threw it all off. And seeing David's trust in God, in his shedding of worldly security and protection, seeing David walk boldly towards Goliath with a stick and a bit of leather and some stones, Jonathan is inspired. Jonathan's eyes are open, and he does likewise. The first thing he does is he's captivated by David. A love and a covenant is forged. David isn't caught up in wanting to be invincible. He doesn't look at David and say, well, hey, look, I could be invincible too. I can just do this. And No, he, he's, he's looking at David. He's captiva- captivated by David. David is who he's looking at. He's drawn to David himself. That's the first thing that happens. The second thing, Jonathan gives David his robe. His royal robe in being Saul's son. Jonathan is Saul's son. He's the prince Jonathan knows that it's David who must lead him, though. Jonathan hands the keys to the kingdom, his respect, his loyalty, his service. He hands that over to David. You need to wear this. Third thing, Jonathan follows David's example and he surrenders his armor, surrenders his weapons. His trust is in David. And if David doesn't need them, neither does he. Jonathan's response is a picture of where our trust in God Our faith in Jesus should lead us. Firstly, looking to Jesus, we're to be captivated by him. Coming to repent and believe in our Savior, coming into a love, a covenant with our gracious Redeemer. Born again by the Holy Spirit, united in love, in soul, in everything. It's not about chasing immortality. That's not why we look to Jesus, because we want to live forever. 
whoever gets us that doesn't really matter. We just want to live forever. And if Jesus is it, well, then Jesus is the name I'm going to call on. It's not about that. It's about knowing that Jesus is the answer to life itself. Being captivated by him. Secondly, like Jonathan gave David his royal robe, we're to surrender that crown, that authority, that throne over our heart and our life to Jesus. Jesus is to be the king, not us. Our faith in Jesus must impact all we are and do. We follow him. We worship him. We follow him. We worship him. We live for him. Thirdly, our trust in God should be grounded in Jesus saving us, in his power over us, in the Holy Spirit's work through us. But we no longer seek out our own securities and power and assurances. I'm going to trust God as long as there's money in my bank. I'm going to trust God as long as I've got a job. I'm going to trust God if. No, that's not how it goes. Like Jonathan, who saw David need nothing but God, and so lays down his armor and seeing Jesus defeat Satan, sin and death with nothing but himself, we must lay down our trust in ourselves and in our world. Where despite our fears, and we have them, despite our struggles, and we know them, we take up faith in Jesus. We take up confidence in God. Like David, Jesus knows shows us what it means to trust, even if that trust means going through the battle. Uh, just before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, will be up there just on the screen behind me, Jesus prays to his heavenly Father. In his humanity, Jesus was overwhelmed by what he was facing, with the battle that was coming. But he didn't pray for his heavenly Father to give him a bigger sword. He didn't pray for stronger armor. He didn't call down the armies of heaven to fight for him. He prayed that the Father's will will be done. He simply prayed that God would fight and God would win and God would get his way. Jesus placed his trust as a human in his heavenly Father and he laid down everything in that trust. He acted on that trust, even his life. Because God is trustworthy, not just over our life now, but over our life for eternity. A trust is seen in what you lay down and in what you take up. When we lay down our life before Jesus, when we surrender our sin, our, our heart, our mind, our body, when we lay down our attempts to be our own God, our efforts to be good enough, to defeat our, our mortality, just one more year, just one more year, to gain the world and to forfeit our soul, when we lay down our worldly thinking, we can then take up a trust in something greater. To take up a trust in God, a faith in Jesus that defeated Satan's sin and death. To take up God's forgiveness, God's new life. To take up a heavenly hope. To take up a boldness that sees our life lived to the fullest. The kind of trust we're talking about today starts in seeing that we ourselves and our world aren't worthy. We can't be our source of life and salvation. We need to stop it. We can't be. We can't save ourselves. God alone can. He alone stands greater than all things, whose love and whose grace is bountiful and powerful to save, to make us new. 
We need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear that God is God and we are not. To lay, down our, lay ourselves down at the feet of Jesus as our Lord, Saviour and King. And that's a struggle, isn't it? To turn to trust in God and not to keep that trust in ourselves. And it's a struggle even David fell victim to. We're going to finish with 1 Samuel 21, 7 to 9. It's such an interesting verse couple of verses, just a few chapters over. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day. This is, this is a while later, after that battle. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. It was Duag the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought any sword or any other weapons because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. There's a fair, <laughs> that sword, like it's like he needed to be reminded. That sword is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. Look what David said. There is none like it. Give it to me. How quickly David has lost sight of trusting in God. Not that long ago, he walked onto a battlefield with a stick and a stone and a bit of leather. Here he's, he's, he needs a sword. He was on the run from Saul and he comes across one of Saul's men, who, by the way, was incapacitated in some way, being detained before the Lord. So it's believed that he couldn't actually get to David. But David is freaking out and he demands a weapon from the priest. Ironically, the only weapon there was Goliath's sword, which David then takes to defend himself. Can you, can you see the situation? The author here of 1 Samuel is making a significant point at how easy we forget God. When we face difficult times, how quickly we forget God's power and his goodness and his faithfulness. I trusted him yesterday, but whoa, today is a different day. Is he the same God? I'm not sure. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. David didn't need a sword to defeat Goliath before. What makes him think he needs one now? How quickly we forget that our earthly life matters nothing when we have eternity, when we have God fighting for us. How quickly we can go from trusting in God to needing to defend ourselves. Maybe David needed to hear the words of his own Psalms, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Why? Because when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plans perish. Our plans to save ourselves, guess where they're going? Nowhere. They perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. This is all about the Lord. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Or maybe you should have listened to Psalm 44. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. 
but you have saved us from our foes. Verse 8, in God, we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Where does our strength lie? Our hope rests. What empowers us? What secures us? What gives us assurance? What gives us courage? What gives us boldness? In who have we placed our everything? Is our trust for life and salvation in us and our world which will pass away? Or is it firmly anchored to our trustworthy God, our trustworthy Saviour? What might you need to lay down? That's the question for this week. What might you need to lay down? What might you need to surrender? What might you need to strip away? Is it pride, idolatry, fear, uncertainty? What do we need to let go of in order to take up trust in God? To embrace faith in Jesus? To go deeper in relationship with him? To know that courage and boldness that faces anything by the grace and power of God? To overcome that temptation that tries to rearm ourselves when things get tough. When all we need to do is trust. A trust that can say in the midst of the battle, Lord, your will be done. I don't know what's going on, but you do. Your will be done. Knowing that we are forever in his hand. Because real trust is seen in what you lay down and in what you take up in its place. I pray we would have a real trust in God that lays everything down, that lays everything down and takes up faith and life in Jesus. I'm looking, do you want me to pray or do you want to pray? I think Lyle's going to come and pray now. Thank you for sharing, Rob. Actually, I'm not going to quite pray yet. Uh, yeah, we're just going to sing one last song and then I'll pray. So is the music team 